Attorneys cannot claim expert status in any field of law. The name of this program was arbitrarily picked by the host. Welcome to Ask the Expert with noted radio host Steve Sleeper. Each week, Steve interviews entrepreneurs and professionals and shares their intriguing stories of success and service. Now, here's radio veteran Steve Sleeper. Our guests today are criminal defense attorneys Andrew Clifford and Daniel Harris with the Clifford and Harris Law Firm in Greensboro, North Carolina. They are client-focused and dedicated to providing the highest quality defense. I began the interview by asking them about their firm. Uh, my name is Andrew Clifford. Uh, I've been a criminal defense attorney for about 15 years. Prior to that, I was a prosecutor here in the 18th Judicial District of North Carolina. Daniel Harris and I uh, are the founders of uh, Clifford and Harris PLLC here in Greensboro, North Carolina. We've been running for three years, specializing in criminal defense. Uh, we work hard, we get good results. We're not afraid to try cases, pretty much do whatever we need to to get the, the best outcomes for our clients. And I'm Daniel Harris. I'm the other uh, current partner in Clifford and Harris. I, uh, I've been a defense lawyer for seven years now. Uh, I joined back when this was a, previously this was a firm called Clifford, Clendenin, and O'Hale. The main partner was Andrew's father, Locke Clifford, and we worked together with Locke until about this year. Locke has been a member of Clifford and Harris, but he is uh, uh, scaling back the practice nearing retirement. But otherwise, uh, we are two-thirds and, and the main two members of Clifford and Harris. And uh, and yeah, we, we only do criminal defense minus a few other things that kind of overlap with criminal defense. What should I expect from a good criminal defense lawyer? You should expect honesty, first and foremost, with you. Honesty about your case, about being realistic about what the options are that are available, about the possible outcomes, as well as the potential uh, things that you are yourself exposed to. Uh, you should expect a lawyer who, uh, if they're good, doesn't make you promises about results because at the end of the day, uh, the lawyer cannot deliver on the results all by himself or herself. Uh, the lawyer has to get a DA on board. The lawyer has to get a judge on board. And oftentimes the lawyer has to get law enforcement on board. So you should be wary of any lawyer who is promising you specific outcomes on a case uh, that they cannot themselves deliver. Uh, you should be looking for a lawyer who has experience in the jurisdiction and in the types of cases that you are yourself experiencing. It's important that the lawyer knows the DAs, the court personnel, the judges, not because they expect some form of favor from those people, that's not it at all, but be so that they know what are the possible outcomes based on different judges, different lawyers, and what is most likely. Uh, and they also know who to avoid. Uh, those are very important things to keep in mind. And you should uh, also get a lawyer and, and expect a lawyer who is known to try cases and is known to fight motions and have hearings because the DAs know that. And that's going to affect the plea offers that are coming down the pipe. It's going to affect uh, the opinions of judges when they're hearing the lawyer speak. Uh, what is the reputation of this lawyer? Do they know what they're talking about? Are they someone who is willing to fight? All those things play a role in the process. So I think those are the, the main areas you should be paying attention to when you are trying to hire a defense lawyer. So what happens after a person is arrested? person gets arrested, they, it depends on the charge that they're facing. 
Um, generally speaking, if they're just being cited for somewhat minor offenses, they'll just be released with a citation and they'll go about their business with a citation in hand and a court date having been set by that officer. Uh, if it's a more serious charge, they'll go in front of a magistrate who will then establish pretrial release conditions, also known as bond or bail in some circumstances, which more times than not is a condition that has to be satisfied in order for you to be released from custody. Uh, it can be as simple as a written promise to appear where a person ultimately says, I'll come to court on the court date, uh, or as is often more likely the case, a secured bond where you have to put up some sort of money uh, or property in order to be released uh, pending the outcome of the, of the case. What's the difference between a felony and a misdemeanor? I mean, in theory, the main difference, right, is the seriousness of the offense and, and more specifically, the seriousness of the punishment the person is exposed to. Um, there are uh, holes within that and, and, and gaps and things that don't make a lot of logical sense as to certain charges that are classified as misdemeanor versus certain charges which are classified as felony. But the general way to, to, to decipher the two is the seriousness of the offense, how much time you're exposed to. Generally, a felony is something that's going to expose you to a year or more in prison, uh, and a misdemeanor is anything below that for the most part. Um, but but the, that is not a perfect definition, and there are lots of variances within that. Let's talk about uh, DWI defense and some of the laws in North Carolina. What are the police looking for when they pull people over? Generally speaking, what they're looking for is a motor vehicle violation or motor vehicle law violation or infraction. In North Carolina, it's generally called a Chapter 20 violation. That's the motor vehicle statutes. It's a basis for them to pull a car over lawfully. It could be anything from an expired tag or uh, a taillight being out or a headlight being out to the more regularly seen infractions, speeding, traffic accidents. It also could be weaving outside of one's lane. Anything that they can say that is a violation of North Carolina law, therefore I can pull this person over or seize them for Fourth Amendment purposes uh, and begin an investigation into whether or not they may or may not be impaired. Do the police make procedural mistakes? All the time. And that's where good attorneys come in. They're the ones that, that know the procedures that are supposed to be followed. And if the officer uh, doesn't follow the correct procedure, it may violate a person's due process rights and may lead to a case being thrown out of court or may lead to evidence being suppressed in court. Um, and that's why it's important to get a, a experienced trial attorney and people who know the laws uh, and know the procedures that are supposed to be followed. They don't always make mistakes, but they're also not perfect. They're humans, uh, and human nature is to, to sometimes make a mistake. That's why we have erasers on pencils. We're not always perfect, but if they're not perfect, sometimes they need to be called to the carpet, and, and that can lead to a, a beneficial outcome for our clients. In North Carolina, does a person have to take the roadside exam? Absolutely not. The roadside exams, there's absolutely no penalty uh, for not uh, participating in those. Uh, the, the field sobriety tests, as are also known, 
generally speaking, it's the walk and turn, the one-legged stand, the horizontal gaze nystagmus, and then the ALCA sensor, the roadside breath test. Uh, there is zero penalty if you decline to, to participate or take those tests. Now, the assumption for the officer from their perspective is going to be if you're not willing to, to do these tests, you must be hiding something. But the reality of it is a lot of people could not pass those tests sober. In all honesty, it, it's oftentimes better for them to decline to take those tests. The judge will be told they, they refused, uh, but that's the only fact that really gets used against them in that scenario is, well, they refuse the test as opposed to if you take the test, you fail the test and five different ways. They tell the judge all the different ways you failed the test and didn't do good. Uh, if you refuse to take the test, there's no penalty as long as it's the roadside test and they, uh, uh, they, they get to tell the judge you refuse and that will hurt you a little bit, but not nearly as bad as uh, failing the test miserably otherwise. Uh, the only time, the only test you're required to take under North Carolina law is not roadside. It is if they have made the decision, you refuse the test roadside or you took the test roadside, but they make the decision to arrest you for a driving while impaired offense. They take you down to the police station. At the police station, they actually, or the magistrate's office, wherever they take you, they have an intoxilizer, a much more formal, uh, high-tech uh, analysis machine for, for blood alcohol content and you are required to take that one if you refuse that you get a one-year license suspension as the penalty for it uh, and chances are they probably get a search warrant and go draw your blood at that point and get the result anyhow but you get a year of refusal but roadside you can refuse roadsides all day long if a person watches reruns of law and order or even you know reads the the paper uh, they, they probably hear plea bargains a lot. Talk about that. How prevalent are they in the system? They're pretty prevalent. I yeah. would say, you know, I think I once heard a, a statistic coming out of federal court that it's 98% of the cases handled in federal court get resolved via plea bargain. It's probably a little bit less than that in state court, but it's still vastly, uh, I would say, the the norm and the way that cases get resolved, and it can be for a number of different reasons. The strength of the state's case, the ease for the defendant, uh, there's just a lot of factors that go into it. But it's the idea that, you know, the state may make you an offer uh, that you deem to be a acceptable alternative to what you're, ex you're either exposed to uh, or what you're facing if you were to be convicted. So it, it's a certainly viable option. Um, there are, are certain types of crimes where you get a lot of plea bargaining and certain types of crimes where you don't get a lot of plea bargaining. And in our particular jurisdiction, the state has a no-drop policy on DWI cases, meaning that there's no plea bargaining a, a DWI charge. It either goes to trial or you plead guilty to it. But there's a, a lot of, of factors that go into a decision of whether or not to accept a, a negotiated plea. I'll add that the uh, I don't think the American criminal justice system in its current current form could survive without pleas. Uh, it's already backlogged uh, dramatically, uh, but but it, you take plea agreements out, and the the way that the justice system in America works, the number of charges that law enforcement take out, the number of criminal charges and, and infractions that we have on the books, there is no way that the court system could hear trials on every single case, it would grind to a halt if that were the case. And so uh, I'll go so far as to say that the, the justice system could not 
function without plea agreements. As we do this interview, we're seven months into the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm assuming you guys are open. I think that's probably a pretty safe assumption, but how are you handling the pandemic? How are you meeting with people, all that kind of stuff? We are offering appointments. We are in the type of work that we've been deemed essential. We have clients who are sitting in jail and thus need to be heard, and we can't just shut everything down completely. Uh, we have clients who have been accused of things falsely, and it's impacting their ability to get jobs, to go to school, to get housing. Uh, so it's a line of work where we have no choice but to expose ourselves and continue working. But to that extent, we are, uh, you know, the, the entire courthouse is all wearing masks. Um, in, the, in our office itself, we are uh, we're wearing masks when we meet with clients. Uh, we have certainly uh, increased the availability of hand sanitizer. Uh, we are trying to reduce the number of people in the office. We're shutting down a little earlier Fridays to let our assistants go home earlier. If our clients are communicating to us that they have concerns, then we are advising them not to come to court. And we are making sure we are present and we are in the courtroom letting the judge know why the person is not present and making sure that their attendance is excused. You know, we don't really have much of a choice but to be here, to be open, and to be fighting for our clients. Our guests today were criminal defense attorneys Andrew Clifford and Daniel Harris with the Clifford and Harris Law Firm in Greensboro, North Carolina. They can be reached at 336 574 2788. Thanks for listening to Ask the Expert with Steve Sleeper. Join us next time as entrepreneurs and professionals share their intriguing stories of success and service.